0: No, it's not some conspiracy theory. It's as real and as scary as you can get. Globalist bigwigs, UN, IMF, Prince Charles, are completely open about what they have in mind. Coming up in Bill Muhlenberg's Culture Watch, episode 27, I explain everything you need to know about the Great Reset, sponsored by the World Economic Forum. Under attack is nothing less than the West, the free market, rule of law, and individual freedoms. It's pro socialism, pro globalism, pro one world government, and it already has the backing of many elites. A popular phrase found among these folks is build back better. You would have heard Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, the Prince of Wales, and even others like Scott Morrison use the phrase. James Dillingpole warns us build back better is the code phrase for one of the most terrifying and dangerous globally coordinated assaults on liberty and prosperity in the history of mankind. If the plan succeeds, the world you inhabit will be unrecognizable, Your children who have no prospects in your life will barely be worth living. I've got more details about this technocratic elite over whom you will have no democratic control coming up later in the show. We seem to keep violating uh, ourselves with leaders being voted in, parties, governments that are peddling this evil the majority of folks seem to love it this way. So how do we respond? Panic, ignorance, violence? There is a way forward and I've got some encouragement and practical advice for those who are asking these same questions and might be feeling a little overwhelmed. You're listening to Bill Muhlenberg's Culture Watch. Great Reset and the Rise of the Radical Technocrats. Uh, a conspiracy is something that is secret. Uh, there is nothing secret about the Great Reset, and nor is it a conspiracy theory. Plenty of the elites have already told us what they have in mind, and they are already pushing actively their uh, plans for this new way of doing things. The World Economic Forum was to have been held in Davos, Switzerland, in January, but now it's been postponed until May 18 to 21 in Lucerne. The WEF has told us what it's all about. There is an urgent need for global stakeholders to cooperate in simultaneously managing the direct consequences of the COVID-19 crisis. To improve the state of the world, the WEF is starting the Great Reset Initiative. That may sound innocent enough, but the devil is in the detail. In the sights of these radicals is the West, the free market, the rule of law, and individual freedoms. It is pro-socialism, pro-globalism, pro-one-world government, and it has the backing of many of our elites. Consider what it says about the global economic and political order. In a piece titled, The Great Reset Must Place Social Justice at Its Center, it says this, Wealth needs to be more broadly redistributed. Governments will need to intervene more to ensure better and fairer outcomes from private sector investments. New institutions need to incorporate profound reforms to ensure better racial integration. Capitalism as we know it needs to be reformed. The growing discontent at the ideology that has created so much wealth and progress on one hand and yet so much inequality and instability on the other is causing increasing frequent social disruption across the world. The COVID-19 crisis has laid bare most of these dysfunctions, ranging from uneven access to health care, education, economic opportunities, and social progress, to growing inequality among and within nations in racial and ethnic groups. At the center of these multiple crises lie the tension between privilege and meritocracy. From a global economic perspective, capitalism, as the dominant economic system since the end of World War II, has played a substantial part in fueling inequalities within and across nations. It goes on to speak about the slow death of capitalism. In another article titled, Now is the Time for a Great Reset, we find this. To achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies, from education to social contracts and working conditions. Every country from the U.S. and China must participate, and every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism, There are many reasons to pursue a great reset, but the most urgent is COVID-19. Another piece called COVID-19's Legacy, This is How We Get the Reset Right, says in part, this article accompanies the launch of COVID-19, The Great Reset, the new book by Klaus Schwab and Thierry Mallory on the COVID crisis and its impacts. A new world could emerge, the contours of which it is incumbent on us to reimagine and to redraw. Notice how this brave new world order and COVID are intimately connected. This global crisis has become the perfect platform or the perfect excuse to radically remake the global economic and political order. And that comes down to very practical things— such as coercive policies of all sorts, including vaccinations. Various observers have written about this frightening monstrosity that it is. Andrew Studeford has, for example, penned a lengthy examination of the economic policies and proposals. He says this, COVID-19 is a bad disease that has been used to breathe new life into bad ideas. And so it comes as no surprise that the World Economic Forum, or Davos, is is deploying the pandemic as an argument for what it labels with characteristic modesty, the Great Reset Initiative. Even if we pass over the presumption of the reset's name, this is a small classic of the prose of soft authoritarianism. There is an urgent need that must be met. There is to be cooperation and management. The world is to be improved. And all of this is to be put in place by global stakeholders. A conveniently vague phrase with more than a suggestion of democracy bypassed about it. The W.E.F. acts as an amplifier and supporter of the soft authoritarianism of the globalist government class in waiting, and not always in waiting. But it is part of that ecosystem, not its controller. The Great Reset is both a product of Schwab's imagination and a summary of the corporatist ideas that have been floating around that class for a long time from the focus on stakeholders to the often cranky environmentalism to the rejection of shareholder primacy, something seen as an Anglo-Saxon aberration, particularly when it is linked to finance. And Justin Haskins says this, For decades, progressives have attempted to use climate change to justify liberal policy changes. But their latest attempt, a new proposal called the Great Reset, is the most ambitious and radical plan the world has seen in more than generation. At a virtual meeting earlier in June hosted by the WEF, some of the planet's most powerful business leaders, government officials and activists announced a proposal to reset the global economy. Instead of traditional capitalism, the high-profile groups of the world should adopt more socialistic policies such as wealth taxes, additional regulations, and massive Green New Deal-like government programs. Although many details about the Great Reset won't be rolled out until the World Economic Forum meets in Davos next year, the general principles of the plan are clear. The world needs massive new government programs and far-reaching policies comparable to those offered by American socialists such as Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in their Green New Deal plan. Or put another way, we need a form of socialism, a world the WEF has deliberately avoided using, all the while calling for countless socialist and progressive plans." He closes with these words. For those of us who support free markets, the Great Reset is nothing short of terrifying. Our current crony capitalist system has many flaws, to be sure, but granting more power to the government agents who created that crony system and eroding property rights is not the best way forward. <coughs> America is the world's most powerful, prosperous nation, Precisely because of the very market principles the Great Reset supporters loathe, not in spite of them. Making matters worse, the left has already proven throughout the COVID 19 pandemic that it can radically transform political realities in the midst of a crisis. So it is not hard to see how the Great Reset would eventually come to fruition. Can you imagine George W. Bush or Bill Clinton printing trillions of dollars and making it to millions of people who didn't lose their jobs? This would have been unthinkable just a few decades ago. Today, the policy garners bipartisan support. Prince Charles was right. The present pandemic is a, quote, golden opportunity for radical change. And if Al Gore, Prince Charles, and the rest of the WEF can convince enough people that attempting to stop climate change is also worth dramatically pushing humanity toward greater government control, then radical and catastrophic change is exactly what we're going to get. (coughs) Another commentator describes things this way. Sky News host Rowan Dean says the next WEF in Davis has morphed from a jet-setter climate gab fest into a senator anti-democratic enterprise designed to destroy your job, steal your prosperity, and rob your kids of a future. It's a hardcore leftist eco horror show replete with quasi-fascism, he said. Mr. Dean highlighted what he described as a disturbing trend among many of the world's left-wing elites to increasingly conflate COVID-19 with climate change. Many are going so far as to suggest that all the measures applied to the coronavirus, the lockdowns, the destruction of businesses, The suppression of dissent, curfews, strong-arm police tactics should now become the new normal for dealing with climate change. Finally, Laura Ingraham just recently looked at a number of aspects of this as well. As one report says... Ingraham cited German engineer Klaus Schwab, the founder and executive chairman of the WEF, who wrote in June about the need to create a healthier, more equitable, and more prosperous future. Fairer outcomes by coordination in tax, regulatory, trade, and fiscal policy. It all may include changes to wealth taxes, the withdrawal of fossil fuel subsidies, and new rules governing influential intellectually pro- intellectual property, trade, and competition, and transitioning from fossil fuels to green enger- energy, she said. Does that sound familiar? It is basically Biden's agenda. When Biden said we're going to work with our allies, what he really means is we're going to let them have veto power over trade initiatives of oh, our patent and trademark laws, and our energy industry. And that's just the start, she said. Activists have always sought to harness the power of the state to bring about their radical agendas. And when you couple runaway statism with fear and alarmism over a virus and the climate, you have the perfect recipe for Big Brother totalitarianism. It is the perfect storm. For the one-world militants, be concerned, be very concerned.
1: Help fight fake news. The Good Source is a right-thinking website bringing the truth and balance needed to the corporate media echo chamber. Good Source is the first source of videos and podcasts like this one. By so many independent, conservative, classical, liberal, and libertarian voices from Australia. Good Source articles transparently distinguish between opinions and news. Objective honesty without the progressive slant or euphemisms. Would you like to help us grow and produce more new media? Subscribe to email updates and become a Good Source supporter at goodsource.news today.
0: Lewis, and our transhuman future. Do you know anything about the Great Reset? Well, you should, for no other reason, because I've written pieces on it, uh, quite a number recently. In it, I spoke about how the radical elites, globalists, the UN, the IMF, the World Economic Forum, to name just a few, are working overtime to radically remake life as we know it and set up their coercive socialist green utopia. You know this is a significant movement when Time Magazine devoted a 2019 special Davos issue to this very thing, featuring the likes of Melinda Gates, Justin Trudeau, and Al Gore. In just this uh, month in November, Time did an entire special edition of its magazine to the Great Reset. You can check out there the 27 or 23 articles and contributors featured there. We have all the usual globalists and elites telling us we need to radically rethink the nation state, the free market, and individual freedoms in order to bring about this brave new world. It certainly is scary stuff. The star of the show is, of course, Klaus Schwab, someone I mentioned in my earlier piece. The German founder of the European Management Forum in 1971, which became the WEF in 1987, is a radical transhumanist whose ideas are as kooky and dangerous as they come. Earlier this year, he and another wrote the book COVID-19, The Great Reset, A techno-totalitarian manifesto. The whole plan is for technological tyranny to solve all of our problems, chief of which are climate change, the Rona, individualism, and the evils of capitalism. A popular phrase found amongst these folks is build back better. You would have heard Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, the Prince of Wales, and many others use this incessantly. As James Dillingpole warned, Build Back Better is the code phrase for one of the most terrifying and dangerous globally coordinated assaults on liberty and prosperity in the history of mankind. If the plan succeeds, the world you inhabit will be unrecognizable. Your children will have no prospects, and your life will barely be worth living. Build Back Better means totalitarian rule by a global technocratic elite, as constrictive and as immiserating as life under fascism or communism. This hideous new world order is the Great Reset. So how do Biden and his great reset pals fix the global economy in this apparently desirable future? Simple. Big government takes care of everything, only not on a national scale this time, but on a global one. It will be managed by a technocratic elite over whom you will have no democratic control. And these folks, in true Marxist fashion, want to see private property eliminated altogether. All for our own good, of course. As one of these guys has proudly said four years ago, welcome to the year 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say our city. I don't own anything. I don't own a car, don't own a house, don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you considered a product has now become a service. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all the things we need in our daily lives. One by one, all these things became free, so it ended up not making sense for us to own much. As to Schwab and his transhumanism, His own website tells us all we need to know about his plans to move beyond the merely human, to harness high-tech and to luxuriate in everything from implantable microchips to smart dust. His views really are grotesque. He speaks often about the fourth industrial revolution, a blend of digital and analog life. This means a mix of humans and artificial intelligence, an emphasis on nanotechnology and eugenics, and a rewriting of what it means to be human. Or as Schwab put it, what the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, digital, and biological identity. As one report on all this put it, In the book, Schwab explains with excitement how upcoming technology will allow authorities to intrude into the hitherto private space of our minds, reading our thoughts and influencing our behavior. He goes on to predict that this will provide an incentive for law enforcement to implement minority report style pre-crime programs. As capabilities in this area improve, then temptation for law enforcement agencies and courts to use techniques to determine the likelihood of criminal activity, assess guilt, or even possibly retrieve memories directly from people's brains will increase, writes Schwab. Even crossing a national border might one day involve a detailed brain scan to assess an individual's security risk. And all this coercive utopianism is tied in with coronavirus and global warming. It has become the perfect excuse to bring about this new world order. As Barry Chalka put it some months ago, discussing corona and the rise of statism... We are being asked to trust these fallible, self-selected scientific experts with the future of our entire civilization. Overnight, our society is doing what radical leftist Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and her fellow Green New Deal fanatics have demanded. An almost total end to air travel, personal automobile travel down to a trickle, promises of free health care for all quickly becoming the new status quo and the ability of people to sit at home without working and receive a paycheck from the governments. The Democrats want that to continue indefinitely. But we've been warned about all this before, quite often. Think of the prescient novelists like Orwell in his 1984 or Huxley in his Brave New World. They both described in gory detail what such dystopian futures might look like. Another great English writer during the same period who also discussed these matters was C.S. Lewis. In a number of his books and articles, he warned about where we are heading with these new technologies, especially as they're coupled with increased statism. He called this the abolition of man. And that, in fact, was the title of his 1947 book. In it, he said this, What we call man's power over nature turns out to be power exercised by some men over other men with nature as its instrument. He continued, Man's conquest of nature, if the dreams of some scientific planners are realized, means the rule of a few hundreds of men over billions upon billions of men. There neither is nor can be any simple increase of power on man's side. Each new power won by man is, is power over other man as well. And of course, his third volume in his Space Trilogy was all about rogue science and unethical technocrats. That hideous strength, penned in 1946, was a clear warning about coming coercive dystopias. The evil organization NICE is the villain in the novel. The National Institute for Coordinated Experiments is a government bureaucracy established to help mankind, aren't they all? It, of course, does nothing of the sort. Several quotes can be offered here. One makes the point of how euphemism and subterfuge are ever the weapons of choice for these technocrats. We want you to write it down, to camouflage it, only for the present, of course. Once the thing gets going, we shan't have to bother about the great heart of the British public. We'll make the great heart what we want it to be. But in the meantime, it does make a difference how things are put For instance, if it were even whispered that the nice wanted powers to experiment on criminals, you'd have all the old women of both sexes up in arms and yapping about humanity. Call it a re-education of the maladjusted, and you have them all slobbering with delight that the brutal, brutal area of retributive punishment has at last come to an end. Odd thing it is. The word experiment is unpopular, but not the word experimental. You mustn't experiment on children, but offer the dear little kitties free education in an experimental school attached to the nice, and it's all correct. Lewis gives us another bigger picture of what this war on humanity means. The physical sciences, good and innocent in themselves, had already begun to be warped, had been subtly maneuvered in a certain direction. Despair of objective truth had been increasingly insinuated into the scientists. Indifference to it and a concentration upon mere power had been the result. The very experiences of the dissecting room and the pathological laboratory were breeding a conviction that the stifling of all deep-set repugnances was the first essential for progress. His important thriller clearly shows the deep concerns Lewis had about where unethical science and unconstrained technocracy can take us. And his vision of a dark new world has certainly proven to be quite accurate. Eugenics certainly did not die out with the Nazi experiments, but is alive and well in the West today. In fact, it has only gotten worse when we combine media-led hysteria and alarmism about things like the climate and corona with these billionaires, be they Schwab or Soros or Gates, who believe they know what is best for us mere humans, we are seeing the prophetic novels coming to life in a very real and very frightening way. The world is turning toward evil. With my title and quote marks, I must be quoting someone, and I am myself. While out on my morning prayer walk the other day, I was reflecting, as I do so often, on the deteriorating condition of the world. I was thinking of all the evil rulers and governments we find ourselves surrounded by. And worse yet, I thought of how many of these have the full support of the masses. Many of them were cheerily voted into power by the majority. We seem to keep voting in leaders, parties, and governments that are in so many ways peddlers of evil and hostile to the faith, and the majority of folks seem to love it this way. One thinks of the words of the prophet Jeremiah as he denounced false prophets in his day. He said, my people love it this way. So as I thought about that and prayed over this sad state of affairs, the phrase popped into my head, the whole world is turning toward evil. There certainly is every indication of this, something I have documented countless times on this site. Those who are biblical Christians, that is those who are not ideologically blinded or living in a Pollyannish world, know this to be the case. But if things are so bad... How is the Christian to respond? Let me offer three general considerations. They may not tell us everything we need to know when dealing with this, but they should at least give us a bit of perspective and some comfort. The first is a remnant. Our haters and critics on the secular left will gloat gleefully over all this and say, See? Your side is losing. Your side is the clear and shrinking minority. Well, that may be the case, but I actually have some good news for those who may be losing heart here. As the Bible makes quite clear, as history demonstrates, and as I have so often written about, it is God's customary way to use a remnant to accomplish his purposes. That is usually how he gets the job done. And of course, that's how he gets the glory. As we read in Zechariah, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Biblical examples of this are numerous, including the story of how God commanded Gideon to widow down his army of 32,000 to just 300 men. In Wilberforce never had more than a small committed group of co-workers as he took on the giant slave trade. Let me offer a famous quote from Whitaker Chambers. He was a noted communist who turned anti-communist. A conversion to Christianity was the basis for this, based on an incident as recorded in his powerful 1952 autobiography Witness. In it, he mentions how simply looking at his young daughter's ear one day as he was shaving convinced him that there must be a crater and that life did not come about by accident. But the quote from witness that I had in mind is this. I wanted my wife to realize clearly one long-term penalty for herself and for the children of the step I was taking. I said... You know, we are leaving the winning world for the losing world. I meant that in the revolutionary conflict of the 20th century, I knowingly chose the side of probable defeat. Yeah, well, at the time uh, he said that uh, it did indeed look like communism was the wave of the future and that Christianity would eventually disappear. But of course, communism is now largely a relic of the past while the Christian faith continues unabated. But yes, true believers will always be a remnant in a largely hostile world, and it may seem like we are on the losing side. My second point has to do with enemies. The reality that the people of God will have enemies is everywhere attested to in Scripture. How can this not be the case? The children of darkness will forever be opposed to the children of light. The world will always resist God and his people. Simply looking at the warnings made by Jesus should make this quite clear. In Matthew 10, for example, You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Luke 6, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil because the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of it. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In John 16, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. And Paul could even say this about the Galatians. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Contemporary quotes can also be offered here. A neat one attributed to Winston Churchill can be shared. You have enemies? Good. Good. That means you've stood up for something sometime in your life. And the poem, You Have No Enemies, by 19th century Scottish poet Charles Mackay, is also worth posing. You have no enemies, you say. Alas, my friend, the boast is poor. He who has mingled in the fray of duty that the brave endure must have made foes. If you have none, small is the work that you have done. You've hit an no old traitor on the hip. you've dashed no cup from perjured lip. You've never turned the wrong to right. You've been a coward in the flight, in the fight. Thirdly, uh, this is not the whole world. In one sense, the entire world is covered in darkness, as John put it. We know that we're from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But in another sense, some places may be worse than others. Some nations may be further down the tubes than others. So when I speak about the world turning toward evil, I usually am referring to the Western world of which I am a part. But I realize that the world is much bigger than the West, and not every nation is going downhill as badly as most Western nations are. As I and others have pointed out, while the West is becoming increasingly secular and hostile to biblical Christianity, with things moving from post-Christian to anti-Christian, many great things are happening in the non-Western world. The spiritual center of gravity has shifted, mainly from the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern. Most of the greatest church growth is now found in places like Africa. Asia, and Latin America. All this is not to say that the West is without any Christian witness, but the two points I made above do accurately describe the scene. True Christians are quickly becoming a remnant there, and hatred and enmity toward the faith is great and on the increase." So what is the way forward for believers? How do we overcome things like the Great Reset and all the other ills that uh, befall us? It is much the same as it has always been. We put our full trust in a God who is still on the throne. We keep busy doing the work of the kingdom and we must learn to pray more and do more for Christ while we still can. And as we do what we are called to do, we leave the rest up to God. He is working out his purposes and we know that the final chapter of human history is already settled. Having just finished reading again the Corinthian letters of Paul, let me close with two quotes from them. Perhaps the first thing we need to make clear is that we really are right with God. Are we really His? This passage from 2 Corinthians 13 is something all who claim to be Christians must take quite seriously. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And we must occupy till Christ comes. As Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your your labor is not in vain.
1: Bill Muhlenberg's Culture Watch podcast is a production of The Good Source, presented by Bill Muhlenberg. Thousands of Bill's articles can be read on his website, billmuhlenberg.com. To watch, listen to, or read more media without the SJW PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E, dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.